1: Welcome to Planet 8. I'm your chief engineer, Bob, and with me is reconnaissance officer, Karen. And uh, we're here with a brief message to let you know that we are running some best of Planet 8 episodes. Planet 8 itself is going on a short hiatus, and uh, Karen will explain what's going on there.
0: Thanks, Bob. Uh, Yep, we're going to take a short break. Unfortunately, we're doing this break because our dear commander, Larry, um, has experienced something none of us want to go through, which is a house fire. Uh, He and his family are all right, but they are out of their home uh, and trying to sort of pick up the pieces right now and figure out what they're going to do. So in this time period, when... um, You know, he's just trying to get his life together and get his uh, family all the stuff they need. Uh, We decided, okay, we're going to take a break because obviously the podcast is about the last thing on his mind right now. So um, with that in mind, as Bob said, we'll do some best of episodes until Larry's able to um, rejoin us. Now, in the meantime, uh, we have set up a GoFundMe for Larry and his family. So if you're so inclined, if you'd like to donate, that would be wonderful because they really, they've basically lost everything. Um, so you can go to either our Facebook page or our Twitter uh, page, and we have links there for the GoFundMe. Uh, if you'd like to donate, that would be marvelous. We'd appreciate the support for him. Um, and uh, yeah, we uh, we hope to be back soon.
1: Uh, definitely, yeah I mean if you've seen our sensor sweeps and things and all the items that Larius shared over the years, uh, that's all gone. The collection's gone, everything. So um, they're basically looking for the, the necessities of life right now. So if you can help out, that would be great. In the meantime, enjoy this best of episode and we'll try to be back with you live as soon as possible.
0: Enjoy. Thank you.
2: Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. By my side, as always, is Chief Engineer Bob, and via Interocitor, circling Planet 8 and our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. Today's episode brings us to a discussion about Kolchak. The Night Stalker. Straight away, we're going to kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob. Bob, for those that are not in the know, who and what is Kolchak
1: the Night Stalker? Well, Kolchak the Night Stalker followed a uh, newspaper reporter, a rather ruffled, (laughs) out-of-place newspaper reporter, who would uh, basically pursue stories that had to do with the supernatural and uh, paranormal, et cetera, and was very much, very much an influence on the X-Files. And we'll oh, kind of yes. go into that later on in the episode. But uh, basically, uh, author Jeff Rice wrote an unpublished novel called Col- The Shack Papers. Hmm. Uh, ABC found out about it and optioned the novel for a TV movie. Back in those days, TV movies were big and uh, a lot of those would act as like a pilot for a tv series or they would just stand on their own Mm -hmm. but uh, they optioned it off and uh, richard matheson who uh, was a very prolific writer uh, everything from i am legend to uh, zuni fetish doll and trilogy of terror and uh, quite a few other uh, short stories that became tv shows and tv series and movies Anyway, uh, he adapted the script into a TV movie. And then Dan Curtis, who also did Dark Shadows of Dark Shadows, that's right. He produced it with uh, John Llewellyn Moxie directing. And uh, it aired basically on uh, January 11th, 1972, and got huge ratings. Uh, 33.2 or 54 share meaning like 54% of the people who had their TVs turned on that night had them turned on to Shack the Night Stalker that's
2: impressive so uh,
1: at that point ABC had Matheson write a second movie which was The Night Strangler and uh, that one aired and also got ratings well enough to basically start the TV series which was which was called the Night Stalker for about the first four or five episodes and then it became Shack The Night Stalker, hmm. starring Darren McGavin. Yeah, the first two movies, The Night Stalker, which was, which, uh, was a vampire, and The Night Strangler, which uh, was actually Richard Anderson from Six Million Dollar Man, Oscar Goldman. <laughs> That's right. Playing a uh, aging slash ageless uh, person who had to basically kill people and yeah. right at the moment of their death extract a vial of blood to uh, keep him going but uh, but so going back to you guys did you even watch any of this when you were younger
0: oh yeah I, re- I remember uh, I have vague memories of seeing the Night Stalker even though I was really young but my mom was always into anything that was really scary or or uh, horror-oriented sore. So we we definitely watched it. And I remember the TV series specifically watching it. But mm. um, yeah, we, we were big Kolchak fans in my household. And uh, it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I couldn't watch. It's funny going back now, you know, and watching these episodes because, uh, you know, they just don't have the same impact. But as a kid... This stuff was was really disturbing, especially watching it at night. you know, it's the lights are off or whatever. it, it was it was all really pretty creepy stuff. and I have to really tip my hat to uh, Darren McGavin because I think he sold it really well. Oh yeah, you know he was not Colchak was not you know a uh, Indiana Jones type or anything like that. <laughs> he was just as scared of everything as the audience, so it it worked really well.
2: Yeah, that's true. I, uh, you know, in, in in our household, during the day they would have reruns of Gomer Pyle or uh, I Dream a Genie, so we'd watch, you know, these these television shows. But they were in black and white, and it was prime time that the stuff was in color. I don't remember the first two films. I, I watched those later in life, but I remember the series. My mother's youngest brother, Uncle Gary, would watch. Um, not the Twilight Zone. What was the Night Gallery mm-hmm. and uh, mm. the Night Stalker? And uh, you know, he let me watch too. He's like, "Here, you want a cigarette and a beer too?" And I'm like, "No." I'm, I'm <laughs> <judged."> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that, it was a lot of fun um, watching them as an adult. Like the one where the headless horseman he's on a motorcycle, and it just looks so poor. I mean, the costume is just terrible. You can tell there's a man under it. You know, the the upper torso is about four feet tall. But at the time, you're watching it, and it's just one of the greatest things ever. Um, so good, good memories uh, watching it. Um, bought the DVD. I'm lucky enough to have the, the DVDs. So every once in a while, I'll go back to the Night Stalker universe. How about you, Bob? When, when did you? Uh
1: well, I think, like you, I think I discovered <coughs> the movies later on. But, yeah, I was watching a TV show when it first came on, and you know watched it religiously every week. And, uh, yeah, some of, it, some of it doesn't really uh, hold up. However, I think one that definitely does is the zombie episode, oh, which is titled yes. simply Zombie. And, of course, this was uh, not your George Romero or Walking Dead or whatever type zombies. These were, you know, the old voodoo type zombies. Right. But, um, yeah, just him... You know, if you guys haven't seen, spoiler alert, but <laughs> yeah, that's right. Him just in the junkyard and he finds the zombie like laying in the back of a of a, I think it was a hearse <laughs> or an ambulance or whatever, and having to sew up his mouth, like Put pour salt the salt in, in right. the mouth and sew it up. And then uh, the eyes open mm-hmm. and he screams and jumps out and, you know, it's like, and again, yeah, I've watched that recently, and it still holds up. I and mean, it's a pretty creepy, eerie episode.
2: I agree. <laughs> and the the voodoo lady, shaking the check. bones. Yeah, yeah and the, the whole the time he's
1: trying to do that, she's sitting there trying to curse him and everything else. So yeah, works on many levels.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's funny. And we talked about this with Lord Bloodra before in the past, in some past episodes, the difference between a ghoul and a zombie and how the Romero film changed ghouls into zombies and zombies into ghouls. The zombies... You know that we'd think about were the Haitian zombies and you know the servants of the living that you know, but uh, this went back to its roots of what a zombie was, uh, and it just I I think you're right I think it still holds up today, um, better than the uh, the headless horseman episode better than the chopper although
1: I love <laughs> I chopper. love that episode with chopper because all right you know take take the suit or the costume or whatever out of it right it's just it's just a A cool episode.
2: They're all cool. And then what works for me, too, is um, there was a 70s vibe with the music that they would use, whether it was a synthesizer Mm -hmm. or what, that really freaked me out as a kid. (laughs) Same could be said about In Search Of, the the Nimoy series. They, you know, play that really weird music and it just added to the ambiance of the thing. Um,
0: You know, what's kind of interesting, I read a little uh, tidbit, Mm -hmm. which... I don't know. It's on the Internet, so maybe it's true, maybe it's not. <laughs> um, but concerning some of the incidental music in the episodes, they said that it was actually some of it was recycled from uh, the Gene Roddenberry movie, The Questor Tapes. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's well, it was the same so, composer,
1: right, Gil Millet? Yeah. Hmm.
0: And that he also put together the Kolchak theme in like 20 minutes, which I, I, I he must he must have been a very talented guy because I thought that was a really <laughs> good theme song.
1: Yeah, it is. It's oh, still... I, th- I thought it was brilliant that he whistles at the beginning because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you watch an episode and you're afterwards you're walking around whistling that <laughs> theme song. You know?
0: Oh, It's a great theme song
2: it is it really stands out uh, as far as like memorable uh, theme songs um, what's a favorite episode that you have Karen or a memorable uh, episode I mean
0: you know what's funny I was thinking about it and one that was really a- memorable to me was um, the swamp uh, swamp monster the swamp moss mm. monster so they, Spanish moss, the Spanish moss yeah the Spanish moss yeah because it's really sort of a bigfooty kind of monster, but then it's actually just the like physical manifestation of here's a spoiler alert again physical <laughs> manifestation of this guy's dreams, um, and it had this whole you know it was the uh, what is it kind of um, French or Cajun I guess Cajun thing going on. <laughs> um, and it was Richard Keel playing this kind of Bigfoot covered in moss. And he's down in the sewer when Colchak has to like kill him. But Kolchak's like flumbling around in the sewer and he's <laughs> running away at first and he's screaming. And Colchak's like always screaming and stuff. And then he kills him by sticking him with this little stick. <laughs> I don't know. It seems kind of ridiculous. But like at the time, it's like, holy crap, get yeah. away from that thing, you know. And, uh, yeah, it was just really, it was like it hit all the right things. It's just so 70s at the time, right? Because it hits the the whole, like, Bigfoot kind of thing, supernatural, you know, all that stuff. Uh, It's one of the most 70s series, that's for sure.
2: Oh, definitely. Let me me go to Bob. For those not in the know, Richard Keel, famous for give us a couple well, of his we, uh, you
1: know going back to bay area film events we had richard keel as a guest at our james bond show yep. our 007 uh license of thrill show uh because he played jaws the uh, giant villain with the gold teeth in the spy who loved me and moonraker mm-hmm. and back then you know he was telling us stories because back then I mean, he was in he was in coal shack he was in bewitched he was in the monkeys he was in like quite a few. Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, very mm-hmm. famous. He was in the- uh, To Serve Man. Cookbook, to, serve to Serve Mankind. That's a one. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> he was in quite a few things. You know, I guess whenever they needed somebody big and tall, it was either him was, or Ted Cassidy, one of the two. And Ted Cassidy so played, played
2: there you go, yeah. from Adam's family. That's right. And Rock yeah. in uh, Star Trek. A Star Trek, that's right. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah Richard Keel was in several episodes as uh, Creatures. Night
2: Stalker. Interesting.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you talk about the the feel of the show and all that. I mean, basically, you had people writing like Robert Zemeckis wrote for that. Oh, that's and, interesting. Yeah, Bob Gale wrote the Chopper episode. Huh. So you know, these are people that went on. You know, David Chase worked on it as a story editor in quite a few episodes, and he was credited. David Chase basically created the Sopranos, but. He was basically credited for a lot of the uh the humor and personality that was in the show okay so uh yeah i mean they, you know they had some pretty damn talented people working on that show so well you know say what you will about the creature or the monster of the week or whatever you know what the effects looked like or whatever but you have some very talented people working on those scripts and uh bringing coal and and Vincenzo and everyone else to life uh, Yeah, was, that's uh, true uh, And I love Vincenzo
2: uh, Simon was, Oakland Yeah, he was a great, great uh, protagonist To to Carl uh, Kolchak um, And he let, was in both of the movies as well he, I was going to say, mm-hmm. let, let's go back to the movie Because I recently, I haven't finished Night Strangler But Night Stalker, that was a good that, I mean, that could have played theatrically, I would think but you know, for whatever reason, it was movie of the week, and according to a chief engineer, did uh, Boffo at the uh, or with the uh, ratings. Um, I I really thought the portrayal of the vampire was good. You know, it wasn't like a Bleh, I'm Dracula. Um, he drove a car. I'm like, wait, that vampire's driving a car. Can they do that? Um, yeah,
0: it was interesting because he it, he did seem like a serial killer, but right. it kind of, it makes sense, right? It's like, well, he has to adapt to modern times or, or like when he was robbing the blood bank, right? Right, yeah. That was that was pretty cool.
2: And he was smart. He tried to keep that one gal alive so that he could just have a constant supply of blood, whatever, there was a lull or, or whatever. Um,
1: well, the whole thing about that is uh, I don't think Kolchak. Was really Kolchak yet? No, he he was because he was he was fairly serious. He had a he had a girlfriend and everything else. Right, and, you know. Once the series hit, he was more kind of the guy out of place in any situation, whether it's a you know, whether it's a uh, crime scene, right, or whether it's a uh, you know press conference or whatever. He's always the guy that sticks out like a sore thumb and is out of place. but
2: Not just because of his bad suit.
1: <laughs> the old seersucker suit. we will kind of get into that, too, in a little bit. There's a couple right. of things with that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he basically, he was kind of more, I don't know, kind of debonair in that first movie. He was. He well, was.
2: That,
0: that first film, you know, they make reference to the fact that he's still, he, he was once, I think, a New York reporter. Right. And so he's he something happened i forget what but he he's kind of fallen from grace and so he's still hoping that he's going to get some big story and he's going to wind up back in new york and uh he's still he's pretty slick in night stalker
1: right and that takes Um, place in in las vegas right old vegas a lot of
2: good vintage shots of the sands and yeah a lot of casinos that don't exist anymore
1: so yeah, so then he leaves Vegas. He gets, he gets run, run out, out of, of town. Vegas, <laughs> and then we go into Night Strangler, and he winds up in Seattle. Yeah,
2: that was a lot of fun. In uh, I've been to Seattle, but I never toured the underground. Um, they have tours of the underground of Seattle. You know, the city below the city, um, and and some of the episode takes place down there, and that was pretty cool.
1: Well, that's where the uh, the Strangler's lair is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah you know, I, I guess I haven't been on the tour of the underground either but supposedly it was a little enhanced underground
2: Oh for the yeah. yeah for the production They shot
1: down there but yeah there was some sort of enhancements that were made for the for the movie Now when the
2: series got uh picked up by ABC they they redid the vampire story didn't they wasn't that one of the, the episodes that they picked up on? It was a shorter version of it?
1: Well, I think they did a vampire episode, okay. but I don't think it was a remake per se. Um,
2: they did sort of a sequel. Yeah, if I remember correctly. I haven't seen that episode in years now, but it kind of gave a little connective tissue, I thought, to the the, the first story, which, which was good. Um, it worked out well. Um, the series went for, what, uh, two seasons, season and a half?
0: Oh, no, just barely a season.
1: Barely a season. Yeah, it went like season. 20 There's episodes, like, one season. Yeah. Oh, that's just a shame. It was kind of, well, the thing with the series is Darren McGavin was made a uncredited executive producer of the series. Huh. And he was doing a lot of basically <laughs> editing, story well producing and story editing and really? rewriting scripts and things and not getting the credit and not getting the pay. Huh.
2: You
1: know, he was just being paid to be Carl Kolschak. Right. So he was kind of getting fed up. He was also getting fed up of the Monster of the Week
2: kind of concept. Format
1: right. And uh, basically asked to get out. And plus, the series started at like 10 p.m. on Friday nights, uh-huh. which is kind of the no pun intended the graveyard of tv shows <laughs> and uh you know it did so so and they moved it to eight o'clock but still if you're trying to do a series that uh basically is aimed at the younger audience and i don't mean kids i mean you know like yeah. <clears throat> basically the the teens and 20s and 30s you're not going to put, want to put it on at eight o'clock on a friday when they're all out yeah so, you know, the ratings was just were just not there, and it ended up uh, going by the wayside, unfortunately, after, like, 20 episodes.
2: Yeah, it's too bad. I was going to say, I have, I have the box set, but it's not that big of a box set. So, uh, one of these days, I'm going to run through and just binge through it. God knows there's a ton of things I need to binge through, but...
1: Well, it was on me T V for a while. I think it probably still is, but... Um, yeah. really oh, yeah well okay. it was sunday nights on me tv they had oh that's the right
2: then yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, well uh let me ask you guys this as far as the um bringing the night stalker back it was short lived on abc did you guys watch that uh
1: unfortunately i watched a few yeah that
2: I was did 2005
1: too. and uh Frank Spotnitz, who was actually one of the producers on the X-Files, brought it back and uh, did not understand the character at all. I mean, basically, you know, this guy was, he wasn't out of place anywhere. He wore, you know, the latest clothes. He had a, instead of having a beat-up old yellow Mustang, (laughs) he had a brand-new orange Mustang, and he had a uh, uh, really nice house with the whole you know all glass on up on the hill in la looking over the landscape (laughs) and you know he just it was not carl kolschak carl kolschak in name only and uh it the ratings were terrible it lasted like six episodes and went off into god knows where i don't even think it's available anywhere i don't think so either but uh you know like i say chris carter the x-files was such a big kolschak fan that he wanted to bring Kolshak into the X-Files. Mm. And he couldn't work out with MGM to get the, uh, the rights. So he ended up bringing Darren McGavin in as sort of the father of the X-Files. He was like an ex or retired FBI agent that right. supposedly started the X-Files. Mm-hmm. And so uh, even in the latest X-Files incarnation, they had one episode where a character was dressed in the old seersucker suit and hat yep. just like Kolchak basically to tease fans because when they had the uh, preview for that episode at the end of the previous episode you saw basically you saw Kolchak in a graveyard you thought holy crap Carl yep. Kolchak's back next week <laughs> and it was just some other character with the you know the same clothes but um the fact that he was such a fan and the one of the guys that worked with him went and got the chance to make a series based on Carl, on Shack the Night Stalker and blew it to such a degree that they did, you know, it's, it's really disappointing. It's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. Did, did you catch the
2: remake at all, Walker?
0: No, I mean, I saw the ads for it, and just based on that, I kind of felt like I didn't want to see it. <laughs>
2: I don't know how it could have fallen apart like that, Bob. Because, like, like you said, I mean, with the X-File pedigree and and no, obviously knowledge of, excuse me, the show and and what worked with the original, how could you blow it? I mean, he had his wife; his wife died of mysterious causes or whatever. And it's like, I I was so disappointed. That hurt. It, it actually hurt. You know. It's like I'm I'm glad they took it off the air. Uh,
1: well, I'm glad I'm glad that people realized it just didn't get the ratings. I mean it. Bombed basically, wow. and as, again, he just, for whatever reason, did not understand what made Kolchak Kolchak. Right.
0: Well, you know. I sort of wonder too if that it's a, one of those shows that is so specific to the era in which it was created that it just trying to translate it to a new era is is kind of pointless. You know, because uh, like I said, I I've, I feel like it has such a powerful 70s vibe that if you're going to try and translate it's almost like well why don't you just come up with something new because it feels so heavily invested in the 70s i just don't know that i see a point in making an, uh, another cold check it's sort of like just make a new thing like oh we made x files which is very similar right. in some respects but it's its own thing it's like that makes more sense to me than bringing back cold check
2: that's interesting as I think about this because his his tape recorder and his camera were very dated you wouldn't see a modern day Kolchak walking around with that equipment now with iPhones and uh, you know Googles and all that kind of stuff but the whole idea of a monster of a week I think that would be hard to sustain episode after episode uh, you know even if you go uh, werewolves down to the you know Chupacabre or you know skunk ape. There's only so many monsters. Even with the X Files, yeah, they'd cover some monsters, but then they would get into the alien mythology and, and government conspiracies well, the and stuff did like it that. To a
1: certain extent, uh, Supernatural does it to a certain extent. Some of the more comedic episodes of Supernatural could almost be translated over to a, a Kolchak type. Mm-mm. of the episode I think they could pull it off but I mean they just have to uh, they don't have to have someone like imitating Darren McGavin but if you know they just no. understand the concept of the character and put him into basically situations that he really doesn't belong in and he's always like the sore thumb in the side of the police and, and all that it's like I think they could do it but you know they would have to do it right
2: if, if anything you'd have to have that 70s music though
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, and there may be a reason why it only lasted 20 episodes, too. I mean, I, I do think the monster of the week kind of format is very limited. Yeah. Maybe if Kolchak had had some sort of antagonist or a group or something that he was pursuing rather than just, but then that kind of goes against, like Bob is saying, well, he just kind of falls into stuff. Yeah. So if he was actively pursuing things, does that change the character so much that it's not really the concept that you're starting with?
2: Well, I know with the first two movies, he was an investigative reporter. It wasn't necessarily monsters, but it was, oh, someone died. Go check it out. What did they die from? Uh, They died from two puncture marks on the neck. What? You know, and then the story took off in that direction for the strangler and the stalker. And I think in the series, that's what would happen too—is that there was just something quirky or weird. Because his boss kept on saying, "You know, Carl, you can't do that kind of a story." Or Carl, you know, problem with, yeah, the it, problem with that didn't want to believe him. Yet here's it, all this evidence.
0: It, it does. I mean, it stretches even for a show like this where you're you're kind of accepting what's going on. It stretches credibility after a while. Like what you know, what's going on in Chicago that. <laughs> Well,
1: it's like week after week. Yeah. I'm not moving to Chicago. Vincenzo sends him to, you know, basically, you know, he wants to get him off the main stories and they send him off on a cruise ship to cover a cruise. Right. And (laughs) and a werewolf shows up, you know. So, yeah, it's like maybe it's just these things follow him.
2: Mayhem follows uh, Kolchak. Yeah. Yeah. well, you know, we're lucky that that it did come out because uh, if if listeners, if you haven't heard of or watched any episodes or movies of Carl Kolchak's The Night Stalker, like Bob was saying, you wouldn't have an X Files, you wouldn't have, you know, these other genre of films or, or movies, uh, TV movies, like we have today. Um, it, it, they're they're just they're they're. Lovely episodes to, to experience and watch. Uh, let me ask you guys this. Now, in the modern day where you can watch shows on your phone and, and over the Internet and with cable having, you know, 20 million uh, channels, do you think the Night Stalker would have lasted longer had they maybe cut the episodes to... Uh, when they redid the uh, X-Files, was it this year or last year, Bob? There was only like five episodes for the season. Do you think that would have helped the Night Stalker last longer by just kind of shortening the season?
1: Well, the Night Stalker kind of existed in an era where you had... What? What? ABC, CBS, NBC, that was about it. Right. And so the that big was kind of limited. Was that? The, the big, big three. three. Yeah. And ratings were everything. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if you had something like that on, say, like a Netflix or something, it could probably possibly go on longer. And again, you know, 20 episodes, that's, that's a long season for any of these Netflix shows. Right. I mean, if they did, you know... 13 episode 14 episode blocks of it then, oh, then people uh, could binge know. yeah so possibly you know you binge through and say like, oh we're done and you know it's coming back in six months or something and uh maybe maybe coal shack's better and load in small doses but yeah. um, what do you think you know uh, it's, it's just such a product of its time is the thing
2: yeah i was gonna say it's probably a product of its time what are you thinking karen
0: yeah, I mean it's the format back then was always twenty some episodes. So I, don't, I don't think you can really think about it outside of the the time frame. You wouldn't fly back yeah. then. I mean, if somebody was watching it now, yeah, I don't know that you could binge more than like four or five at a time.
2: It's a product of its time, maybe yeah. its era.
0: What I want to know is, yeah, where do you guys think Shack ranks? in the the ranks of monster hunters so you have your Van Helsings and you have your Winchester brothers and all these other people who go out and hunt down monsters. Where does Carl Kolchak deserve to be ranked amongst the all the the great monster hunters?
2: Mr Bob you want uh, to take that first. or you want me to take it?
1: Um well when you think of Van Helsing, you basically think of Dracula, except for you know recent <laughs> movies where he's more of a superhero and he goes. You know, up yeah, let's the not talk stuff, about you know. the
0: crappy ones. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I would say, you know, let's put Van Helsing aside. He's just basically a protagonist for, uh, for Dracula. Aww. And uh, you know, I, like I say, I, I've mentioned it before. I've been with Supernatural all 14 seasons since episode one, haven't missed one watch it every week, uh, you know, so I get there is a place in my heart for the Winchesters. Um, There's also a place in my heart for for uh, Mulder and Scully. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would put, but I would put Carl Kolshak, you know, personally, I'd put him close to the top. I've always been a Colshack fan, and uh, I just think Darren McGavin's portrayal is this, spot on you know for the, for the character and what he was supposed to be um, you know definitely I'd, I'd put him near the top
2: uh, unlike Bob I, I don't know who the Winchesters are I've never watched Supernatural although a lot of my friends have and and at some point I'll, I'll have to binge 14 years worth <laughs> maybe 15 because I think they have another season coming out um, I think even uh, unlike Bob even though Van Helsing just battles Dracula, he's kind of like the granddaddy of, of monster hunters, killers, whatever. Um, so he's, he'd be pretty high on my list. The Carl Kolchak, I think his ability pre-internet to research these phenomena uh, you know, he'd get books from the library. He'd go visit the coroner. the so
1: you got Wally Cox in the basement uh, with all these books. <laughs> you know. Yeah,
2: you know, <laughs> um, I, I give him high points for trying to figure out how to deal with uh, you know uh, a Naztec demon or a, a witch or a werewolf or you know he uh, he figured it out and and did the best he could with zombies and and the lot. So. He's he's up there too. Um, I I I wouldn't say he was as fearless as Van Helsing, uh, but uh, but he was very um, resourceful. Karen,
0: yeah, I think that's a a key word here is resourceful. Um, more and more, I've come to appreciate protagonists that are not um, hulking bodybuilder types. Um, so just like i i really appreciate um peter cushing's van helsing who is at best wiry Um, (laughs) i i really appreciate carl kolschak because he's he's not a brave person but uh he still manages to to face down these weird creatures and he like you said he does his his research he He, you know, looks into things, he tries to figure stuff out, and uh, he's pretty fast on his feet, so Mm. I have to give him high marks.
1: Well, you gotta say, I mean, again, being a product of his time, you never had Carl Kolschak, like, (laughs) sitting in the corner of the newsroom, questioning whether he should be doing what he's doing, or regretting, or, you know, I'm not gonna go after these supernatural things anymore. Mm -hmm, I'm gonna do, you know, whatever. Um, you don't have angst. He, he's going after the supernatural. He knows what he's got to do. And, you know, he, he finds out about these things, and whether people believe him or not, he tells it to them with such conviction yeah. and won't back down. It's just, uh, you know, it's just Carl Kolschak. And I think a big thing for me for the series, too, is Darren McGavin's narration. Yeah, that was. Where he'll start the episode. <laughs> Talking into a tape recorder about you know this that and the other thing that he's doing in that episode and just his inflections and the way he does it and the way he talks and the way he tells a story I think really makes it for me
2: and it helped draw us in as well you know when when we start the episode that way he gives the narration and then boom the episode takes place now I have a question for both of you Um, doesn't have to be as of today but let's say 10 20 years after The last episode of the series Or the last movie uh, How would you Maybe not finish off Carl Kolchak's Story but one more Movie one more episode Where would you place Carl What would the dynamic be What what would the story kind of Involve Um, Take a minute to Think about it Uh, Let's start with Bob and then we'll go over To Karen
1: I didn't get my minute. Uh, <laughs> well,
2: I'll tell you what, because I, 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 I have an answer. So if you want, I'll give my answer and you guys can think, or you want
1: to... No, I'll jump just kinda, in. Okay, all right. I think, you know, it's Kolshak. So obviously he would have to get run out of Chicago somehow mm-hmm. for uh, doing something. Who knows what? You know, getting blamed to, for murdering some guy who people don't believe was a vampire or whatever. Um, and of course, Tony Vincenzo would have me run out with him <laughs> out there in the yellow Mustang driving off to somewhere, somewhere else, God knows where, to uh, some other city, to work for another newspaper. Okay.
2: All right, cool. Karen? Where would I guess take- I, w-
0: I would ideally have liked to have seen it somehow connect to X Files. It just. Mm. It just seems like a natural connection, but I don't know. Maybe if that doesn't work, then I'd just like to see Kolchak. I guess it takes place in the 70s, so let's just go 20 years later, and he's discovered the Internet, and (laughs) he's putting all his stuff out on the Internet And he becomes an Internet celebrity and then winds up going to a lot of UFO and other conventions. And finally, people (laughs) regard him with esteem and his (laughs) life comes to a very happy, happy uh, ending chapter.
2: Conclusion. (laughs) Well said. Well said. You know, this might not be popular, but I I was thinking I would have had the, uh, you know, brother, sister, whatever of the vampire from the first movie find Carl, bite him and turn him into a vampire that Carl actually becomes (laughs) one of the creatures of the night. And during the whole narration of the movie, I mean, it doesn't happen until the end. You're like, "Uh, uh, wow. okay, this is, you know, what's happening? What? what he got bit he's but he's not a bad vampire I mean you know, he, he tries to like get blood from blood banks and stuff like that I, I would have put Carl in that kind of a story well, then, to,
1: then he could be hunted by the Winchesters <laughs> there you go that ties <laughs> into Van the Van Helsing
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll get the same animators who did Peter Cushing for Star Wars <laughs> there you and, go. and they can view him as Van Helsing for that movie But the,
2: the other the other story that I was playing with was he gets abducted by aliens and uh, goes off into outer space to uh whatever get probed yeah get probed or help populate <laughs> a new planet so uh, it, it kind of struck me the in the first movie his girlfriend slash fiance he asks her to marry him was really hot I mean oh, she really, was a yeah. beautiful woman and you know nothing against Carl he wasn't you know all that but she was totally devoted you know she's like yeah I'll marry you and then, unfortunately, with spoiler alert, when they get driven out of town, you know, he never sees her again. But um, anyway, that would have been interesting to see uh, our three stories if they. Uh,
1: well, even Night Strangler. I mean, what, she didn't become a girlfriend or anything, but he had, was it Joanne Flug? The belly dancer. As a be- yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, as a stripper. Uh, well. <laughs> stripper, belly dancer, erotic dancer, whatever you want to call her.
0: Only the highest quality people.
2: Oh, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> <laughs> uh, well ladies and gentlemen this brings us to the conclusion of this episode of planet eight as usual it's time for our sensor sweep and this episode we're going to have karen give us a sensor sweep on one of the treasures that has uh, come across her uh desk up there in the satellite karen take it away
0: Well, thank you, Larry. Um, Keeping with kind of the spooky theme of this episode, I want to talk about a book that came my way actually at Christmas. Uh, My good friend Leanne sent this to me as a Christmas gift. Thank you, Leanne. Um, This book is called Info Gothic. It's an unauthorized graphic guide to hammer horror. So if you're a hammer horror fan, this is the book for you. Hmm. Um, I first heard about this um, on Derek Cook's Monster Kid Radio. He had the author, Alistair Hughes, on. Um, and I, it's actually, he's the author and illustrator. So this InfoGothic, it basically takes hammer film uh information ideas and puts them into infographics. It's really, really cool. Um, I'm, I'll put some stuff up on our our website and also on Twitter um, to kind of show some of the neat illustrations. There's charts, maps, timelines, and it kind of goes through all of the great hammer horror films and sci-fi films. Uh, there's things like um timelines for the different Frankenstein movies that are illustrated. And he also goes into the connections between Hammer films and like universal horror films. There's a really neat chart that shows all the different types of mummies hmm. from both Universal and Hammer, um, different werewolves. And it's really brilliantly um, illustrated and in, in great colors and uh, just it's really hard to describe because it's so cool. So it's available on Amazon if you're interested. It's twenty five ninety nine. Um, again, it's called Info Gothic. So I'll put that up when we uh, load up the show, and I hope people check it out because it's one of a kind.
2: Sounds cool, definitely. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, we would like to thank you as always for. Uh, tuning in and listening to our little podcast. We know there's a lot of podcasts out there. Uh, Be sure to spread the word. Uh, Let your friends and family know we're out there. Have them uh, give us a listen. Uh, We want to thank you um, for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic and join the conversation with us. You can find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast and also on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. As always, we look forward to your input and your opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission.
1: Item. Memaloa Edmonds was deported to her native country only one day after the events of the junkyard. Item. Captain Leo Winwood was relieved of duty for, quote, reasons of health, unquote. Item. Francoise Edmonds, the deceased, was buried a third time at public expense. A third time. However, this time, rock salt was poured in his mouth and his lips were sewn shut. City officials will deny this, but you can see it for yourself if, if you'd care to venture out to St. Lucie Cemetery and exhume the corpse. Be my guest, if you've got the nerve. My story was false, quite the contrary.